Welcome, welcome. I'm so glad that you're joining me today on this uh, Tuesday, April 7th. I know it's 7 o'clock in the evening and we're transmitting to you on this, the beginning of our Holy Week celebration. We had Palm Sunday this past Sunday and now what I want to do today is kick off the sermon of the seven words or seven phrases and what we're going to do today and then tomorrow Wednesday Thursday and then Good Friday at 7 p.m. we'll bring to you the uh, uh, portions of the seven words uh, throughout this week so make sure not only that you stay with me now but also uh, over the next uh, evenings at 7 p.m. just join me and uh, Pastor Enid Almanzar who will also be uh, helping me and sharing the word as well. So let your friends know, let everyone know. Uh, uh, for us as Christians, this is a very uh, special, special week. I know that we have some limitations because of the coronavirus and what's going around around the world. But I, honestly, I, it was just impossible in my mind to uh, not gather together somehow, some way, uh, for Holy Week. I know that we're not allowed to gather physically and we've been uh, uh, being very obedient to those rulings and we have not gathered for weeks already as a church. Uh, but thank God for technology that we're able through this medium be able uh, to reach out to you. And so I'm glad that we were able to um, uh, continue our tradition every year of our Holy Week celebration. And particularly with the seven phrases, what 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 these seven words do is uh, give us a glimpse of the last moments of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Uh, we're able to see through these expressions, through these phrases, uh, how the Lord Christ, but also how God the Father, was navigating the redemption of all of mankind. The price was being paid uh, to forgive all of our sins and put us in right relationship with God. And as we look, uh, the, the life of Christ is so fascinating and interesting. You know, here he is, the Immaculate Conception, a mystery that really we can't adequately explain. How is it that the Holy Spirit can make shadow over a young woman and she becomes pregnant and gives birth to our Savior? His own start into the world scene, the scene of mankind, was really miraculous the Immaculate Conception. And then he is born in a manger as we celebrate in Christmas. Later on, his parents go and, and dedicate him, as was the custom and tradition, uh, at the temple and take him in for the priestly blessing, which is done. He continues to develop, and you know the, his story, and I'll just touch some highlights. You know, here he is as a 12-year-old in the temple, and he is so filled with wisdom and knowledge. It's, it's a, a divine gift over him, that even the scholars and the religious people were left uh, uh, in awe at the depth of his knowledge as a 12-year-old boy. And then we continue to see how in the, uh, uh, the, the wedding at Cana, where now he, it initiates his coming out, if you will, in ministry. And then for three years, uh, he is out ministering and teaching about the way, about the gospel, about the love of God, him being pers the personification of God's love, but the love of God toward mankind. And he spends that time uh, training his disciples, developing them, because he was not going to be with them uh, forever. But for those that three-year period meeting, going from town to town, uh, village to village, ministering to the needs of people, and trying to convince the world 
that he was uh, God made flesh uh, to mankind. Uh, some accepted, some did not, and it created chaos, if you will, in the culture and in religious circles and also in the political world. Uh, that's what the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, did uh, to such an extreme that we find, as I fast forward, even though he did all of these miracles and they did all of these, did all of these things uh, to help those around him, he's sitting down at the Last Supper with his disciples, and there we find the declaration uh, or the unmasking, if you will, of the one that had already made plans to betray the Lord, and that was Judas. And we, we know that uh, even during that period also, the time, I don't want to overlook the time when he was in Gethsemane, uh, realizing, because think about the agony for a moment. Here he is alive, and yet he knew that his mission was to die. Here he is alive, and he knew that his mission was to suffer pain and distancing and ab abandonment from God the Father. It's just... Uh, and we, we don't even understand it to the depth that Jesus himself lived it, that agony that he was going through. And it was in Gethsemane when he was praying that the disciples could not stay up, that, that he cries out to the Father and he says, Father, if it is at all possible, pass this cup from me. And because he realized how difficult it was going to be to drink that cup. He realized how hard it was going to be from a human perspective and how painful and horrendous it was going to be. And he cries out from a human perspective in a moment of despair, Father, if at all possible, is there another way? Then realizing his plea, his mission, and the heart of God, the creator, the Father, to redeem mankind, Jesus declares, but not my will, but your will be done. Knowing the suffering, knowing the pain and the difficulty, he still submitted himself in obedience to the plan of the Father to rescue mankind. I wonder if we could be, even, even to a small degree like that, that understanding the suffering we might have to endure, that obedience will be what we will use to move forward through difficult situations. And so Jesus went through that, claiming it to the Father. Shortly thereafter, he's arrested, and we know here is an innocent man all of a sudden being tried as a guilty one, already before the sentence, already assumed to be guilty. Those that were with him abandoned him. Those that were for him all of a sudden were confused, didn't know what to do. Even some were teetering back and forth whether to believe or not believe in the Lord. But Christ pressed forward. And we, we, we get to the part where now he is before the authorities. He's sentenced to death, crucifixion which was the most horrible way that a criminal could die because it was a public humiliation. The criminal was placed in the square in the eye of everyone, family, loved ones, haters, lovers, all those gathered around. And there he would be humiliated and, and killed. And Christ was sentenced to that kind of death. He was whipped, uh, unrecognizable, he was nailed to a cross. The nails pierced his flesh and went into that, the, the, the wood of that rugged cross. And you have to re remember, some of us sometimes don't realize that he was crucified, the cross was laying down, and he was crucified and held on that, on that uh, rugged cross, and then nails went through his flesh and into the wood to hold them. And then there was a hole that was dug in the ground, and then the cross was lifted up with Christ on the cross. 
and as it's lifted up, then the, the cross would fall into the hole that was uh, dug out and the pounding into the, into the ground of the weight of the cross and the weight of Jesus' body on the cross tore into his flesh even more. And the splintering of the wood just uh, pierced his flesh even more of his back. I mean, it's, it's horrendous. Sometimes as I, as I think about the physical suffering, I can't even go into depth of reading or studying that or even talking about it because it was, it was horrible. And then he was uh, innocent all along. But Jesus knew before the foundation of time that this was necessary. There needed to be someone that could fulfill the law and be also the perfect sacrifice, both in one, the priest, the high priest among priests, but also the perfect sacrifice. And Christ became both those things at the cross of Calvary. And he was nailed to the cross, and then all of nature reacts. And I often find this so astounding for me that Sometimes we as human beings don't get it, but nature gets it. Nature remembers the voice of the Lord when he was the one that said in in Genesis 1, along with the Father, uh, let there be. And everything that we receive as creation came out of his mouth. And so nature understood that. So nature is reacting to Christ now being crucified. And I want to, several things that are very critical that you, I think you get, and I said before that crucifixions were done usually in the public square or somewhere where the public can see. But according to Hebrews, Christ was crucified outside the gate. He was taken outside. His crime was looked at as so despicable, so horrendous, that he was paraded outside the city gates. And there on a mountain called Golgotha, he was killed right there. And so his uh, friends and foes and families gathered to witness what was going on. Nature, understanding that he was truly king, truly God, was reacting. And the sun didn't know whether to shine or to hide itself. And the thunder didn't know whether to ring out strongly or to remain silent. There was confusion in the, even in the air as we see it played out through the entire crucifixion. Even when he dies at the end of his life, the reaction of nature to this horrible display of the Creator being sacrificed. And it was there on that hill next to two criminals that Jesus was crucified. And it was there that then he embarks on what we know today as the seven phrases, seven words, his last words that he said. I want to focus on two of them today. The first one is this word called the word of forgiveness found in Luke 23, verse 34, where Jesus says, and it's interesting, here he is, and the first thing that comes out of his mouth was not get me down from this or let fire rain from heaven. The first words that come out of his mouth is this word of forgiveness, Luke 23, 34. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them. Here he is, Christ man. Because there's a duality about Christ. He was God and he was also man. But in this situation, now on the cross, it's Christ man. He cries out to his father. And he, he cries out, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. It almost seems initially when you listen to that or hear that, that Christ is blanketing all of humanity with forgiveness. No, no, that's not, that is not the case. 
Christ could not forgive. The only one that could forgive was God the Father. What we find in this is a petition, a request from Jesus, our Savior, from Jesus, our Redeemer, a request to the Father for the act of forgiveness. Wasn't that Jesus was forgiving? Because the only one that can forgive. Today, the way we achieve forgiveness is the confession of our sins is receiving Christ into our hearts. And that opens the path for us to be able to receive the forgiveness from the Father. But Jesus here was not talking about that. He was submitting a request to the Father. They're worthy of forgiveness. Don't hold against them these horrendous actions that they've taken against me. For extend yourself, dear God, Father, Creator, and extend over humanity forgiveness. And he says, forgive them, forgive them for they know not what they do or what they are doing. And the NIV is rendered for what they do. And what were they doing? I, I submit to you that many of them, he, he's actually saying forgive them because they don't know. Now, does that mean that when you don't know, God can still forgive you? Well, let's not venture too far from what was happening at that point. And at that point, the forgiveness was being meted out because truly in that audience, there were people that were fulfilling the narrative, the prophetic narrative. And that is that he needed to be uh, uh, turned in, betrayed. He needed to be uh, 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 sentenced. He needed to be crucified. Those were players, if you will, in the prophetic narrative that God had established before. So in that sense, they were not aware. But I also think that there were some in the crowd, and I can't help, but the one that comes to my mind is a centurion at the end of the story of the seven words. We'll talk about that on Friday. But when the centurion who was there, he was sitting on the fence, did not know. And remember at the end, the centurion cries out like he, he almost had a, a light bulb go on in his head because he was in disbelief. But all of a sudden, he was able to see truly, truly, this was the Savior or the man of God or truly our Redeemer, Son of God, man of God. It was for that, for those people, then that Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But you know what? I, I want to go further. I think it also extends itself to me and to you today. That oftentimes we live our life so oblivious of God's divine orchestration to redeem us. And in that moment of ignorance, and in that moment of uh, just rejecting, the Lord still extends forgiveness to all of us. What a powerful word. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And this word of salvation takes us, um, this word of forgiveness takes us to the very second word I want to talk to you for, in a few, for a few moments. And that is what we call the word of, of salvation. And before I, I, I mention this word, we have to understand the scenario that played out here. Christ was crucified between two criminals, one to his right and one to his left. And there was a debate among them. These two criminals about how they should uh, receive, discern, and experience this one that was crucified in the center, Jesus Christ. And they went back and forth and they concluded that, yes, we are here be, uh, paying because of the things that we do, but before us there is one that is innocent. What an incredible revelation. The other thing, too, that we find is that Jesus doesn't find himself surrounded by royalty. He, is, he finds himself surrounded by criminals people worthy of condemnation and death. Like today, my friends, Jesus is not looking to sit in the high places of religious authority and power. 
but rather he wants to go right down by the well and meet the woman that was rejected. He wants to go right down to the, the fringes of humanity, those that are abandoned, those that are labeled, those that are cast aside uh, to stand in the middle of our situation. So Jesus is before these criminals. They're fighting back and forth. Finally, they come to some kind of consensus. And in the middle of this, one of them cries out a powerful phrase that leads Jesus to the second phrase. And he says to the Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He had come to a moment where he realized the value of the person before him. It seems to me that even like the centurion, this one was also covered by they know not what they do. And Jesus now uh, declares to him, he, as he says to the Lord, remember me when you come into the kingdom. He realized that he was facing the end of his life, but the only way to cross over into eternity is to have Jesus as his advocate for him. And he says to him, remember. The word remember is fascinating in the original because it is not just uh, to bring back the thoughts that you had of something that occurred in the past. That's remember. In fact, the, the, re, the remember has a prefix, re, R-E, to the word member. So take the members and put them back together. And that is exactly what it meant. It meant back there that the criminal was saying, take the pieces of my life and put them back together. The pieces of my criminality and redeem that and put it back together. The pieces of my horrible actions and horrible words and sinful living, redeem that and put it back together. He's saying, Lord, remember, put me back together when you come into your kingdom. For us, the application is exactly the same. God wants to put the pieces of my life together, the pieces of your life together. If we can cry out to him, he will remember them. He will put those members back together again through his redemptive power. And then the Lord tells him, I tell you the truth. This day you will be with me in paradise. I tell you the truth. There was a crowd, but Jesus decided to stop and not focus on those that were accusing him, those that were before him. He even put aside the suffering he was feeling from uh, being uh, cast aside from the Father even so temporarily to focus on one. He says to him, I tell you. That's a singular word. I tell you. He says to Jesus, remember me. And the Lord says, I tell. Jesus is never, never busy, too busy to take care of your specific individual needs. The Lord is never, never too busy to cast aside the ins and outs of the day, the busyness of the day, to focus on speaking to one lost sheep. And we find it here. He was able to silence everything else going around. Even his own suffering, fragment that to the side. To be able to meet the needs of one and tell him, I tell you the truth. That word, I tell you the truth, means that it cannot be debated. It won't be changed. These are the facts. This is what's going to happen. And he says to him, today, this day, you will be with me in paradise. I love that because this day means that the salvific extension of, the, of, the, of his sacrifice started that very day. Don't put it off for tomorrow. Don't put it off for Resurrection Sunday. Don't put it off for another moment. Right now, this day, today, you will be with me in paradise. Because of your declaration, remember me, I'm telling you a truth, something you can bank on, and that is this day. My friend, today is the day of salvation. 
This is the day to be redeemed from the Lord. Don't wait till you get it all together because we won't have it all together. This is the day to be able to tell the Lord, remember me, Lord. Put me back together again. He tells them, I tell you the truth. This day, and look at this other element, you will be with me. What a scene. Jesus looked like someone defeated. And he's telling, giving this guy hope by telling him, you will be with me. And I want to tell you the, the following. He was telling that criminal, you will not be alone because I'm going to walk with you. Church, brothers, sisters, on this day, that's the same truth for us. The Lord will never leave us, never forsake us, never abandon us. He will always be with us. He will walk through, with us through the journeys of life, through the ups and downs. He will be by our side. You need to know that in your heart. He tells the criminal, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me. We will walk together. We will move forward together. We seek someone to be with us. We don't want abandonment. That's part of our human condition. We want one of the sufferings that we're going through right now because of the, 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 the guidelines to make us stay at home is that we yearn and need interaction, social interaction. Jesus will never leave you. He will be by your side. And then the final thing that I learned from this uh, second word is he says, I tell you the truth, today, this day, you will be with me in paradise. He paints a picture of what tomorrow holds. And, and, and I want to tell you the following. There's no language, there's no human language that can describe paradise. There's no theological connections we can make to adequately paint the picture. Human words fall short of an, of an even adequate description of paradise. A word that is used often is bliss, a place of bliss. What does that mean? Well, it means however you look at this eternal place. And the Lord is telling him, all the harm and horror that you've lived through, I'm going to walk with you toward this place where that will no longer be looked at. All the darkness that you created, because you said, remember me, I will walk with you to this place where that light is going to dissipate all of that darkness in your life. In your life, Today, you will be with me in paradise. Father, I thank you for this time you give me with my brothers and sisters. Bless us, Lord, that we might focus on you as we navigate through this uh, the sermon of the seven phrases, seven words that you declare from the cross of Calvary. Let this week, starting today, Tuesday, on through Good Friday, we'll be able, Lord, to navigate uh, the significance and importance of, of those events, those words, those phrases, and what they mean to us. I thank you, dear God, praying this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for being with me. I want to remind you that for the rest of this week, today, Tuesday, tomorrow, Wednesday, then Thursday and Friday, Good Friday, every evening at 7 o'clock, we'll be coming to you uh, and streaming to you the Sermon of the Seven Words. Make sure that you join in. And of course, Resurrection Sunday, next Sunday. Don't miss out. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.